0: I mean, you built a time machine. How to the Dorian? This
1: is the stupid cancer show. That's hot.
0: Hello there, children
2: People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late.
1: And now the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zachary.
3: Monday, December 28th, and we are once again live on the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. We are your friendly neighborhood weekly social webcast, finally giving that voice to nearly 5 million young adults affected by cancer. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because this stupid cancer show is on the air. Welcome to tonight's broadcast, my friends. We are here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time and share all of our collective crapness. This broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation one of the nation's leading grassroots advocates for the next generation of survivors and co-survivors. It's all about us, folks, and we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight and sticking it to a system that's ignored us for far too long. The past three decades of cancer progress have failed the next generation, so there's no reason to think the next 30 will be any different unless change happens right here, right now. So join us and be the change that needs to happen. Hell, we invented Google, we invented Facebook, Twitter, we kept Sanjaya on American Idol all those weeks. We can do anything we want. This is Generation Cancer. It is our fight and our duty to give back to our own. We have the sheer numbers, the voting power, and the influence to change those rules because remission is not an excuse for cure. And survivorship is all that really matters. Alrighty, last week's show Nutrition Part Two with Kim Martin, Rebecca Katz, author of The Cancer Fighting Kitchen, and the illustrious Dr. Alejandra Junger, director of integrative medicine at Lenox Hill here in New York, author of Clean, founder of Clean TV, and tonight's show Who the Hell is Hodgkin? Our final show of 2009, dedicated to the disease so nice, we don't know who it's named after. In our spotlight tonight, we're supposed to get Ethan Zahn on the line. We'll find out about that in a little bit. Hilde Dillon, Senior Vice President of Patient Services at the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and Dr. Leonard Sender, I2I Chairman of the Board, Clinical Professor of Medicine and Director of Clinical Oncology Services, at the Chow Family Comprehensive Cancer Center in Irvine, California. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun, film, and exciting romps with the hang on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Coming into live from the Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult pediatric cancer survivor. Joining me live in the studio tonight, as always, our chief cancer anarchist, Jack Bufart. Hello, Jack.
4: What's up, Matt? Happy New Year, bro.
3: Happy New Year to you in advance. Jack will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room. So if you have something to say, let him have it. And grill him with simple questions to stump his small brain. We have no one in the uh, studio audience tonight, which is refreshing, actually, because it keeps the place nice and cool. I keep it cool, too. Yeah, you like to think so. And uh, as always, it is my esteemed pleasure to introduce my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from the windy city of Chicago, fellow young adult survivor, author of the acclaimed book, Everything Changes, the Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s, the lovely, talented, blogtastic, and spectacular, Carol Rosenthal.
0: Hello,
1: Matthew and Jack.
3: Hello, Carol. Hi. Hey.
1: How you doing?
3: We are fabulous.
1: Excellent.
3: What have you been up to these days?
1: Well, I had pretty much the best checkup of my nine-year cancer career about a week and a half ago. So it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting.
4: Nice. Good for yeah. you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, usually when I get good news, well, it's not often. <laughs> it never happens. It's sort of like once in a blue moon. I think it's happened one other time in nine years. And it's like it was really hard for me to trust it the first time. And it's kind of like, right? When's the axe gonna just like slash down on my neck? I'm just waiting for it to happen again. This time, no way. I'm I'm really excited. I'm so grateful. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing to get good news for once, so I'll take it.
3: Yeah, it's like when you watch the news and they're like, you know, death here and death there. Oh, little Timmy's happy, but death here and death there. You got to take it where you can get it, I suppose these days.
1: Yeah, it's 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 true. So I'm I'm really happy about that. Um, I've just been one of those people that I usually can't stand, like, <laughs> walking around feeling blessed about my life, you know, <laughs> the kind of people that I usually want to smack where I'm like, oh, get over it.
3: Yeah, don't get too my... happy or we won't recognize you.
1: Yeah, really. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so I've been just kind of a little mispleased as punch lately, Um. so it's been nice. And uh, I have to say this is a, this is a little bit of like a bittersweet show for me tonight, you know, I'm... Happy because I'm back on the Stupid Cancer Show, but this is my last show as as your co-host. So Ooh. it is really. It it
3: is. Ooh. No one told me any of that stuff.
1: Oh, I didn't send you my yeah, pink, slip. I I her, pink slip. I fired her. I
3: fired her because I wanted to talk more. Okay. Yeah. Well,
1: also,
3: yeah. we did we did pay homage to you last week, and we announced it to our listeners that uh, you would be leaving the Stupid Cancer Show as co-host but you will still be a frequent returning champion as guest as often as possible.
1: Indeed. Indeed I will, and it will be such a pleasure.
3: Wait, is there a difference
4: between paying homage or writing an obituary? What? Because I had something yeah. I was going to read in Carol's memory tonight. A, but... An
1: obituary?
4: In, in <laughs> yeah. I
1: finally you? get a one good checkup in nine years and you wrote my obituary?
4: Well, maybe that's the wrong word, but, yeah, we were
3: going to say. There, we're going to have a moment of silence. A moment of leaving silence the show. for leaving
1: Carol. A moment of silence. I'll have a moment of silence for my dead cancer. How about that? What a moment of laughter
3: for Carol leaving the show. <laughs> okay. You don't think I can
4: pull that so off? I'm could ready you?
1: for I'm ready for an obit. If if you want an obit, go for it. No. Ah, uh, I don't oh, know. Oh, come on.
4: How about like a "So Long, Farewell" and like sound of music style? So long, farewell. farewell. Do I,
1: have it on I love the sound of music. I don't know if I have that on iTunes. I'm going to check. Has it been on yet? It usually comes on around. I am
3: Jack. Time. I'm Jack, and I am impossible.
4: <laughs>
1: so, guys, um, what's going on with you these days?
3: Uh, I'm going to be a dad. We keep announcing it as often as possible. Uh, Are you going to be two dads? I'm going to be a dad to two children. That is absolutely insane. I'm trying to find the sound of music here. I don't think I have it. Nope, I don't have it. Oh, well. You lucked out by me not having to embarrass you with the Avita Zain song from Sound of Music.
1: I love that song. I pretty much love everything about the sound of music.
3: I like it's... the sound of silence. <laughs>
1: I think we should have a Sound of Music episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. You think I'm so? am not exactly sure what that would look like, but I'm we could definitely take the theme, like, Maria being rejected from the Abbey. It's kind of like when you get cancer and you're yeah. kicked out of, like, normal life as a young adult and you have to go roam the hills for yourself and you're, like, thrown into this new world where you're in charge of all of these different things. Like, you know, we could have to take each of take each of the seven children and kind of ascribe some kind of psychosocial hardship. I think you know, I think we could really go for the whole analogy here.
4: Yeah, and we could bring Dory up from Baltimore cuz she's 16 going on 17.
1: Oh, Absolutely. Boy. Yeah, and then there's the whole like Nazi thing. I don't know, maybe we could make a hybrid of like the whole Quentin Tarantino Did you get the Catholic ACS to come in as the Nazis? Cancer show.
4: Hitler therapy. Yeah. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> that is just so bad. It'd be like like Mel Brooks uh, with the uh, the producers, you know, Springtime for
3: Hitler. Yeah.
4: If anyone knows the producers at all, you know, just come up like a really really bad play that's like meant to fail, but it's a huge success.
3: <laughs> That'd be the stupid kids starring Jack Bufford. That's true. Yeah. Or just
4: anything starring Jack <laughs>
3: Bufford. <laughs> just Jack Bufford the, the musical. There we go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, yeah. So we find out the sex of of the uh, the gender, I should say. We find out the gender of the children. Um. This Thursday, which would be very exciting. Yeah, what um, time are,
4: are we going to the appointment again?
3: Jack, you need to meet us there at noon. Oh, so
4: it's a nine o'clock appointment. Because
3: yeah, the appointment at eight in the morning. Right, exactly. Well, I can't wait for your tweet. That's what she said.
1: Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Would, would that
3: be baby one two seven in the chat room? Yeah, Bb one two seven. baby.
1: <laughs> so, you guys, on my blog today, I blogged about the best and worst of. 2009, for myself personally, the best and worst. I'm kind of curious about you two. What, what do you consider your best and worst of 2009?
3: Um, well, my
4: best for 2009 was coming on the Stupid Cancer Show, and Matt's worst of 2009 was
3: Jack coming on the Stupid <laughs> Cancer Show. <laughs> well, I think you have to segregate that too personal and professional, don't you?
1: Well... For me, I feel like those lines just blur all too much. So, yeah, but I think it sounds like a wonderful delineation. As a matter of fact, that delineation might even end up being my New Year's resolution.
3: What, to be able to separate personal from, from professional?
1: Yeah. The,
3: the lines do blur when you do the kind of work that you and I do, for sure. But if I had to uh, – <laughs> Jack is having a conversation with my wife in the chat room. But she, she told was, me I
4: can't come to the, to, the, to the appointment
3: on Thursday. Of course you can't come to the appointment on Thursday. Well, yeah, you can come. Come at come at noon. We'll be done at 10. Yeah, have a great time. Yeah, that sounds fair. I don't know. I would have to say best of 2009. I can't, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of, I don't know if it's superstitious or not, but, you know, the prospect of becoming a father could possibly be the single greatest thing that's ever happened to me. But I can't only, I can't put myself in the shoes of next May or June when they're born, you know, because clearly that will be the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, as far as the worst thing this year, I would just have to tell you the, the fucking economy. It's just terrible. Totally. Absolutely destroyed this organization's, um, you know, a- anything we could have done to grow as an organization this year, we did, in spite of the fact that everything, like, dried up and, and withered away. Uh, but we're still here. We still survive. Numerous cancer organizations folded this year because of the economy, which I think is the part that is just. The worst that we lost some really great organizations that were doing really great stuff, so,
4: and some were uh, absorbed by the the live strong were Livestrong,
3: some were absorbed by Livestrong, which is good because they still live on, but at the end of the day you know we're, we're still in a place where you know it's it's a very compromised community, a compromised sort of um, ecosystem, if you would, so professionally, I have to say the worst is that, that just the economy's been terrible yeah. So if you have any money, log on to
4: amazon.i2y.com
3: or is it wristbands.i2y.com? No, Amazon. I actually, want to go? We want people to go to Loser Kids. Uh, if you're listening from abroad, international, Canadians, uh, Europeans, uh, Australians, uh, anyone out in Japan, yeah, wristbands are now available for sale internationally, uh, which is something Amazon did not do for us. But you can go to Loser Kids, just like as it's spelled, Loser Kids, uh, at i2y.com. But anyway, non sequitur for a shameless plug. Uh, I would also say we had um this is an, a not necessarily a politically correct thing to say, but we had a shake up with our board of directors this summer, but it turned out to be the greatest thing that could have ever happened to the organization.
1: Well all right lemon, lemon what is that lemonade out of lemons
3: <laughs> So, Jack, what about you? Um, my
4: year was pretty crazy. Um, you know, obviously everything that I've been doing with you has been great fun.
3: And uh, no trip specifically. We had a good trip to Austin. We had a good trip. Where did we go this year?
4: We went to Asco in Orlando.
3: Asco, Asco in Fabulous. That was good. That wasn't Atlanta.
4: Orlando. 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 Yes.
3: Yes. Exactly. That was a fun trip. That was a fun trip. Uh, you spoke in front of a high school. I did. You spoke in front of a high school class. Oh yeah, I did. You met this girl. <laughs> what? <laughs> No. It's like that movie, The Village, that which we do not speak. Well, I mean, I did speak. In, oh, no, you're talking
4: about Columbia University. Yeah. It's not a high school. It's a medical school. Oh, big deal. Same thing. Okay. Okay, yes. yeah. But I mean, I, I've done a lot of talking. And Didn't you speak in high school, too? I, I
1: well, hope I, you're I not like high school doing in advocacy town. for cancer patients or yeah. anything. <laughs> oh, you have a tumor?
4: And I,
3: and I met a dude at the hospital. PS
1: 103, yeah. 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 We'll get a recommendation there. You yep. don't like what those doctors have to say. There's a preschool down the street.
3: Yeah, I know, exactly. You know,
1: offering really great chemo.
4: I'm actually not allowed within 1,500 feet of a preschool.
1: <laughs> I'm not surprised.
4: Not good. Not good at all. Yeah, well, actually, I did speak to a kindergarten class. You did? Yeah, remember that picture where I tagged everybody?
1: Oh,
3: okay. Fair enough.
4: Yeah.
1: I bet you're great with the kindergartners, Jack.
4: It was fun. Well,
1: they're on his intellectual level, so it's
4: perfect. Yeah. Actually, they were, they were like well ahead of my intellect. <laughs> But when it came nap time, we're all on the same page. Right, nap time, nap time, exactly. Very nice, very nice.
3: But yeah, I had a good year. All right, can't yeah.
4: say I can't really complain about anything. I no, mean, no,
3: this was a, I, I would think in the scheme of things, this was a very good year to look back on. Um, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things happened this year. There's a new jib jab post that I put on my Facebook wall about what's going on this year. It's mostly political, but no, I I I haven't really given much thought to the fact that it's going to be 2010. You know, we were born. In, I was born in 1974. And Holy shit! <laughs> a very long time ago. So, um, yeah, just uh.
4: So basically, when the twins are born, people are gonna ask it, you, know, "How old your grandchildren are?"
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's amazing. All right, well, let's let's plow through the news, and uh, we'll uh, we'll do our spotlight stuff. So, here we go with the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Alrighty, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce worthy news stories to our adoring listeners to inform them about the latest and greatest in free young adult programs, services, events, projects, and other stuff. If you have an upcoming program, event, or press release that you would like to hear broadcast during this segment, please fax it to us at 877-794-6902 or email jackrecord at jack at i2y.com. That's jack at i2y.com. All right, Jack, take it away. The news
4: is all you. Thanks, Matt. Here's your stupid cancer news. Head on over to events.i2y.com. Events.i2y.com is the official social calendar of the Opinion Cancer Foundation. We have some new Yaks of D.C. events coming up. On uh, Saturday, January 16th, they will be ice skating at the Smithsonian. Uh, the February meetup, Lisa Goldstein will be introducing First Ascents and showing the camp documentary. And speaking of First Ascents, their uh, 2010 calendar is on their website, so head on over to firstdescents.org for that. And finally, the uh, Yaks of D.C. group is showing Chris Carr's Crazy Sex to Cancer on Tuesday, January 5th. All Yaks of D.C. programs are held at Smith Farm, Center for Healing and the Arts and you can go to smithfarms.com for more information. The Annie Appleseed Project is hosting their 2010 conference at the Crown Plaza in West Palm Beach, Florida If you would like more information on attending this, head on over to AnnieAppleseedProject.org Rockin' Given in is in honor of Michelle Chiotti's Stupid Cancer Come celebrate and support survivors those we have lost and those who love them in Unionville, Michigan, Saturday, January 9, 2010, $20 admittance fee includes beer, live entertainment, and appetizers. They will be selling stupid cancer bracelets, and proceeds will be given to the Omtiorg for this Cancer Foundation. For more information on this event, contact Charlie at 517-256-2018. 70k.org. That's the word 70, the letter K.org. There are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. For over two decades, there has been little or no improvement in survival for this age group. By signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet the needs of this underserved population. Cancer care programs for young adults are as follows. Living with cancer. Life after cancer. Young adults' loss of a parent. Young women with breast cancer young adult individual grief counseling and young adult caregiver for all diagnoses and relationships. You can contact Cancer Care at area code 212-712-6173 Matt, we spoke of 2009 being a good year for me It definitely be 2008 because as everybody knows, back in 2008 I needed to do some sperm banking because of my uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma treatment and little did I know that I needed to live on sperm banking by mail kit don't do what I did, guys. Mailing sperm without a live-on kit is found on by our federal government. For more information on live sperm banking by mail, please contact liveonkit.com. Live sperm banking by mail is made possible by our good friends at Federal Hope. And I would like to thank. You, I would like to send a big thank you out to the law firm of Dewey Scrum and Howe for clearing up my embarrassing situation with the United States Postal Service. And that, my friends, is your stupid cancer news. Happy New Year.
3: All right, I officially... I'm going to retract what my professional um, worst uh, thing for 2009 is. Uh, I'm sorry, my professional best thing for 2009. Um, best thing for 2009 is having you on the radio show, if only for the humor of having you fumble through the news every Monday. What do you mean? I use concentrating really hard. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing more satisfying than watching you try to read English. <laughs> that.
4: In my defense, I can't read my own typing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen your handwriting. You literally belong in kindergarten, dude. Yeah, if I could just text message the news to everybody, right. that would
4: be so much easier. But
3: just, like, it's it's become like this running gag where you just, you, you naturally stammer through, like, plain. You have to, like, type your own notes, and you can't read your own notes. That's true. It's fantastic. And the fact that I have, like, a sore throat tonight makes it even worse. You are just, you are a baba booey, hands down. I'm a
4: bumbling idiot. <laughs>
3: Total bumbling This this is
4: why my parents don't listen to the show. Ah. Because they're like, well, we have nothing to be proud of anyway, so why would we tune in?
3: (laughs) I need to give an embarrassing shout-out to Missy Chait in the chat room tonight. Uh, Missy Chait is uh, one of Dr. Sender's patients out at UC Irvine. Uh, She's uh, incredibly unco-narcissistic, which is fabulous, but uh, she's never listened to the show ever. And uh, the only reason she's listening tonight is because Lenny's on the show so we need to chastise her for using Lenny as the linchpin to get her to listen to the show. So she'll be hearing this in about 20 seconds with the delay. Oh, there it is. The shut up in the chat yep, room. there it is. Yep. Sorry, Missy, you lose hands down on this one. And uh, we're going to give you uh Speaking of Missy Chase, wasn't she, like, drunk and uh, hanging all over Vanilla Ice when we were at the Livestrunk Summit? Oh, my God, remember that? <laughs> I remember that. That was unbelievable. Yes.
0: Uh.
3: <laughs> all right, let's go to the... Uh, Let's go to our, uh, our spotlight. I have some bad news for everybody here. Well, good is and bad news. Uh, Ethan Zahn was supposed to be on the show tonight with us uh, for our year-end special. Uh, he, was, um, he, he was given a PET scan two weeks ago, and it's declared cancer-free, which is absolutely f- spectacular. So, so Ethan gets some, uh, some big props for being cancer-free with his PET scan. But today, of all days, was the day he started his bone marrow, I'm sorry, his so stem cell. Stem cell. His stem cell transplant uh, started today of all days, so he will be unable to join us. I got the email the other day from him. But I'm going to read his bio anyway, because if you don't know who Ethan Zahn is, you really should. He's an extraordinary guy. He's become an incredible personal friend to me and Jack of the uh, the organization and the young adult movement in total. Uh, He was a soccer goalkeeper at Vassar College and played professionally for the Hawaii Tsunami and Cape Cod Crusaders of the United Soccer Leagues and in Zimbabwe for Highlanders Football Club. He he parlayed his victory on Survivor Africa by donating some of his million-dollar first prize money to starting Grassroot Soccer, an amazing group whose goal is to mobilize the global soccer community to combat the AIDS epidemic in Africa. He's been all around the great big world, but was diagnosed with stage 2 Hodgkins in the spring of 2009, literally this year, and is now dealing with the endless media jokes about how the guy from Survivor is now a survivor of cancer. His birthday, eleven twelve, is my wedding anniversary, which is why we connect over uh, so many more levels of interest. But uh, we're sending out our love and good karma to Ethan Zahn tonight on the beginning of his stem cell transplant and uh, wishing him and Jenna uh, a happy, peaceful, healthy, and joyous New Year. So this is for you, Ethan Zahn. So uh, we have a, a few minutes before we bring in our first guest anyway. So I'm going to uh, make everybody leave the room um, and just pack up their bags because we're going to have Jack Buffard be his own guest. Yay! On the show tonight. You see, tonight's show is called "Who the Hell Is Hodgkins." We hear these terms all the time: Hodgkins lymphoma, non-Hodgkins lymphoma. Who the hell is Hodgkins? Who is, it? is it our guy? Did someone lose a bet? That's the name of something that sounds like your uh, bodily function. Not good. So Jack is a survivor of uh, non-Hodgkins lymphoma. No. no? Hodgkin's? Regular Hodgkin's? Regular Hodgkin's? Regular Hodgkin's, and I feel bad for not knowing that. Have, did we just meet or something? Hi, I'm Matt. Considering that you're
4: the one who, like, types up my bio on, like, everything I2Y, you should know what I have. Hodgkin's had. lymphoma. Stage 4
3: Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yes. Yeah. Clearly spread to your brain. What? <laughs> exactly. No. no, it didn't spread to his brain. But I'm going to let Jack tell his story again um, for everyone out there, because his story is pretty prototypic of young adults affected by uh, Hodgkin's disease. <laughs> He's not on my lap. Well, your,
4: wife, your wife asked if I switched seats, so I said, yes, I'm sitting on your lap. Oh, fabulous. fabulous. Phil is jealous.
3: All right, well, let me, let me just play here. Uh... What time is it? All right, Jack Bufard is sitting oh, to my, my left. Hey. He was diagnosed with stage four Hutchins lymphoma in February?
4: January. January
3: of 2008. Yes. We first met at the 2008 OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults, where he became enamored with me personally.
4: A day that will live in infamy?
3: You're not supposed to interrupt my introduction of you. Um, oh, sorry. You're also supposed to send me an introduction of you. You told me I was supposed to be funny. All right, Jack before it, everybody. Tell us your story, Jack. How did you come to grips? How were you diagnosed? Um, and how was your story pretty typical of the young adult with Hodgkin's?
4: Well, uh, going back to 2007, uh, September of 2007, I started getting some fevers that would last, you know, two three days at a time. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, the only symptom was a fever, so I was able to like function through everyday uh, everyday life. Um, lost. I started uh, getting uh, severe night sweats. Started losing weight. Couldn't figure out what it was started going to the doctors. They put me through numerous blood tests, blood cultures, a CT scan that November, nothing. Everything was consistent with having some type of viral infection. Uh, I was looked at by internal medicine doctors, infectious disease doctors, and everybody kind of had the same conclusion that it was just a virus. Um, Yes, uh, yes, Missy, I was itchy. I I was having that uh, itchiness that so many of us have. regarding uh,
3: Not the same issue you have when you meet Missy. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, there's no cure for that. <laughs> but, uh, so finally, uh, it was New Year's Eve two years ago in 07 that I was at a party and my fever just completely spiked. Um, the next morning, I saw that I had two lymph nodes in my left groin that had popped up and... Uh, gave the doctor a call and I was kind of like excited because I had another symptom to to present. I was like, you know, something popped up and you know, maybe this is something we can work with. They admitted me to the hospital right away, had surgery for the lymph nose the next day and on January 8th I was told that I had stage 2 Hodgkin's lymphoma. So went to uh, the cancer center in Denver, Connecticut where I live and uh the PET scan, the initial PET scan showed that it wasn't stage two, it was stage four, because it also had cancer in my bones and on my liver. Uh, well done. Thank you. Yeah, because, you know, I just got to have the best of the best. If you're you going to do it, do it right. That's right. So uh, because of that, obviously the chemotherapy was more involved. I was going to uh, for chemo three three days a week, about five hours a day, and, uh, you know, it totally sucked. Um at the time of diagnosis, I weighed 130 pounds. I normally weigh in the 160 range. And with all the medicine and the steroids and all that crap that I was on, I blew up to like 185 pounds, which is the biggest I've ever been in my life. Um, and, you know, I was really sick. You know, lost my hair, couldn't really do much, relied on everybody, and uh, fortunately got through it. So June of '08, I came back cancer-free, and everything since then has just been Returning to normal, whatever that means, because I still have, you know, some issues with neuropathy in my feet and fatigue and whatever. But my story is typical of so many young adults because I was diagnosed at the stage four, and there are so many of us that are diagnosed at stage fours that don't make it. So you know, I certainly am very fortunate that I had a good response to my treatment and that uh, I'm doing okay now. And I I had a scan last week. And my doctor was very pleased with the results, so I've been a year and a half out, and had another clean scan. And he's actually dropping me uh, my my appointment is down from every month to every other month. So that's good because I've been trying to find a good way to break up with my oncologist, but
3: he won't let me. Nice. So. So that's pretty much it. Okay. I lived. Well, I I like the story you tell, and this, just take another minute to talk about the um, the support group. Scenarios that you went through. Yeah, uh, of course, this is what resonates with our audience.
4: Yeah, and this is how I came upon I2I and Matt. Was uh, when I was diagnosed, there were so many, you know, people that that came to me, you know, through the hospital and through uh, cancer centers and whatever, <clears throat> uh, regarding support and support groups that I could partake in. And there were two support groups that were offered to me. One of them was a men's group, but the men's group consisted of men in their 50s and 60s, and they were all prostate cancer survivors. So Nothing to, uh, you know, really uh, relate to with them. The group that I did partake in was ten people. I was the only guy, the youngest by twenty-five thirty years, and the majority of the women in the group were breast cancers. Well, there you go. So I was. So you uh, fit right in. Well, we all cried over everything, but uh, right. Um, but no, seriously, the, like a lot of what they were talking about, I couldn't relate to, and that's what a lot of us young adults feel when we're isolated in these support groups, right. like some of the women were like, you know, I don't have uh, the energy to drive the carpool and, you know, have dinner ready for when my husband comes home from work, or I don't have the energy to keep up with my grandkids or whatever, and I'm right. like, well, I just want to get better, so I can go to some baseball games and Dave Matthews concerts. Exactly. You know, it's a whole generational gap, and, and also, you know, regarding fertility, it's like, you know, I could look at these women and say, well, you're lucky because you're, you know, you're in your 50s, 60s, and 70s. And, you know, you have kids, you have grandkids, but my fertility is compromised as a 32-year-old, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to have kids one day. So there's a huge generational gap in addition to just, like, the the uh, social stuff where it's like, you know, I couldn't just, like, curse and be like, you know, this sucks or whatever because, you know, I'm looking at these people as my, my mother and grandmother.
3: Well, I think that was very well articulated. I'm glad you filled in for Ethan. Um but uh, let's get to our first guest. Again, who the hell is Hodgkin's? I think it's a really compelling show. It's about time we got to the bottom of this. So uh, let's do this. We're
0: going hopping. We're going hopping today. We're, hopping. We're Philadelphia hopping. We're going to drive.
3: As the Senior Vice President of Patient Services of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Hilly Dillon provides strategic direction and oversees all operations of LLS patient and healthcare professional services, programs, disease-specific patient publications, and web pages, financial and other support services. She joined LLS 10 years ago in 1999, almost 11 years ago, as the Director of the LLS Information Resource Center. Uh, Prior to LLS, she served as the manager of smoking and health programs at the American Lung Association and spent nine years at Memorial Sloan Kettering here in New York in the Breast Cancer Laboratory Research Center as supervisor of the National Cancer Institute Cancer Information Service. Wow, I didn't know that. Native New Yorker, perhaps. Let's see here. Please welcome to the show the one and only Hildy Dillon. Hello, Hildy.
2: Hey, Matthew.
3: I didn't, I, you know, it's funny, I, I read your bio when you sent it to me, but I never like actually processed, you were at Sloan and you're, you're, you're here in New York, you're a New Yorker.
2: Yes, I am a native New Yorker. I do live in New Jersey now, but I am a native New Yorker. Well,
3: we'll forgive you for that, but the fact that you're a native New Yorker is fantastic.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I was at Memorial for almost 10 years.
3: You were there when I was there, that was amazing, but I yeah. didn't have breast cancer, of course. So. No, right.
2: no. The twain
3: shall not meet at that moment.
2: No.
3: <laughs> Where are you calling in from?
2: I'm calling from uh, Okemo, Vermont, from a ski resort. Wow. Yeah.
3: You want to switch and, places?
2: Yeah. The skiing was great today, not to make everybody jealous,
3: but
2: <laughs> it, was, it snowed all day, and it was beautiful here. So, well, well, good for you. Lucky. Thank mm-hmm. you for
3: making the time to be on the show tonight.
2: Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be here, and I just want to send Ethan my best, if he's listening, or if he can listen to the archive later, that we're all thinking about him and wish him really well.
3: Yeah, I mean it was, it's unfortunate that uh they scheduled his you know, how dare they schedule his stem cell transplant the day he's supposed to be on the show, right? Yeah,
4: yeah and, and and Matt and I did speak to Ethan on Christmas Eve and uh he's in good spirits, you know, he's just stuck in his bubble, you know, literally. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. He's in the bubble now, but he will he will soon rise up. <laughs> and uh we wish him the best.
3: So, um let's get down to some brass tacks here. Obviously, you know, you've been at LLS for, for almost 10 years now, or a little over 10 years. And, um, you know, so much has changed uh, in the past 10 years with regard to LLS, uh, its mission, its purpose, its goals. And um, can you talk a little bit about, and I know uh, Carol probably has some questions for you also, uh, can you talk a little about, you know, what specifically is, uh, are, are the biggest issues that you think the organization is facing uh, these days? What are the biggest struggles uh, that you're going through?
2: Well, I think actually for uh, people living with uh, different blood cancers, we we address all blood cancers, so that's leukemias, lymphomas, myelomas, and uh, other diseases uh, that were other cancers of the blood cells. And um, actually, I've been at the organization for 11 years, and there has been incredible progress made in treating most of these diseases. I would say that um, our biggest challenges are still some of the more uh, acute leukemias. Uh, Hodgkin lymphoma, which we're going to talk about tonight, is actually one of the most curable diseases that we address, but there are some people that do have challenges, like the challenge that Ethan is going through right now. Um, So it's been um, an incredible 10 years to see a lot of therapies be developed that are more targeted, uh, less toxic than the classic chemotherapies like what Jack was talking about. Uh, But most of our patients still do have side effects from their treatment. A lot of them are still receiving chemotherapy in combination with some of these targeted therapies. So a lot of progress, but still a lot of challenges ahead. Uh, We also are uh, beginning to see a lot of research and progress in the area of uh, addressing the long and late-term effects of treatment. Jack referred to some of those as well, That even though he's quite a bit away from his actual therapy, that he still has some fatigue and some neuropathy, and these are things that we're trying through research, and some of that research is supported by the Leukemia Lymphoma Society to reduce those side effects so that We're not only curing people, but that they can live better lives once they get past their treatment.
1: Well said. So, hi, Hildy. It's it's Carol. Hi, Carol. uh, How are you doing? Good. Good. Um, You know, a couple questions that I have, um, specifically about Hodgkin's. You know, the age range that we look at, I mean, often, like when I write and talk about young adults, I often am talking about people in their twenties and thirties, but Hodgkin's really affects a lot of teenagers too. Um, and I'm wondering, like, what kind of challenges or interactions do you see with Hodgkin's patients and their parents? Because I mean, I think that at that age, like, they're you know, you're you're still living with your parents, you know, and even those of us who are diagnosed in our early twenties, like sometimes we're still living with our parents, we're just like haven't quite cut the cord yet or we're off at college. And I'm just kind of wondering like what that parental and survivor-patient relationship is like that you guys see there and what kind of services you offer around that.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And actually we do get, um, we receive a lot of inquiries from concerned parents for uh, young adults or, or people in their teens that are diagnosed with, Either Hodgkin lymphoma or another type of blood cancer. It's a it's a tough age naturally to be a teenager and to not necessarily want to listen to your parents. Um, as a as a, a mother of a sixteen year old, I live that every uh-huh. day. Um, but you, uh, one of the the major issues is that um, a lot of what Jack was talking about earlier is that the the treatments for. Uh, many of these illnesses, including Hodgkin, uh, are long and they require um, a certain amount of compliance or adherence on the part of the patient to make sure that they, a lot of the, most of the therapy is given as an, on an outpatient basis. Some is in the hospital like what Ethan is going through now. Uh, but it's very important at, um, at any age that people follow what the physician is recommending in terms of making their appointments. Uh, not giving up on getting their treatment if they don't feel well unless they absolutely can't do that because there if there's a medical reason that they can't do that, uh, because in order for these treatments to do their best um, and uh, to get the best success from them, you really need to finish the protocol and and uh, go through the protocol as it's prescribed and that can be very difficult for uh, people in their teens or young adults they're uh, naturally um, feel invincible as they should <laughs> you know until something like this hits them their lives are invincible and they feel that, that um, they're strong and they can get beyond it and that they don't necessarily want to listen to authority um, and the physician becomes uh, one more authority uh, authority figure um, and it's in this during this age um, and I remember it well you naturally question authority so I, the, I accept- excelled at that <laughs> <You've> excelled <laughs> yeah, me too. Already, I should get yeah. an
1: award I think sometimes I think I've never grown out of that phase, actually, but yeah, yeah it it is it is yeah. like and i think
2: I think that's why um you know an organization like i two y is so important because people need the support of people that are in their own peer group, they need that um and I think that education is also really important because for those that have been through it and understand it for them to tell people to hang in there um, and that it is important for you to take your medicine it is important for you to be reporting everything that you that you're going through to your physician or to your nurse that message i think is respected more from from somebody in their own peer group and as Jack was saying before very often your support group is not a, uh, people of your age group. I think that that's changing, and I think that the cancer centers that we talk to and work with are really um, moving towards, and organizations like the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and others out there, of forming support groups specifically for young adults and for t- people in their late teens, so that they do have that support from people that they can really relate to. But it is very important, I think one of the most important messages for this show is that um these illnesses are tough and uh but they can you can have a good outcome um, it's very the the treatments can be tough, um, but there are ways that you can be managed through them, and communication with your physician is absolutely key. They need to know everything that you're going through so that they can help you through it. Um, and I think that when you have the support of people in your own age group to give you the um, the education and the the words that you need to bring to those people that are the nurses and the doctors that are treating you, that that can be enormously helpful. So you I know, in-
1: when I uh, when I was doing research for my book Everything Changes, I spent hours upon hours on the LLS website because it's just such an incredible. Resource and such an amazing way to educate myself about these diseases, and I wrote I wrote a lot about LLS in my book too. And one thing that was so startling to me, I listened in your archives. It was to a podcast about sexuality, and I can't remember the exact number of listeners that were on the phone in that. It was like a call-in podcast, but it was amazing to me how many people were listening. I mean, it's just like the numbers were. A how many people participate in and consume what you have to offer. And I'm curious, if you look overall, I mean, I'm not sure if you're able to separate out young adult issues from other issues, but what are some of the most popular parts of your website? What are the pieces of information that people are most eager to find out about through your organization?
2: well actually the one of the most popular I think it is the most popular podcast is our is our podcast for young adults on sexuality. Um, I think one of the reasons for that is that it's the um, that's the medium that people that are living with these diseases in that age group will will seek out um, and we have other programs that are via teleconference uh, that are uh, more frequently attended by people that are, that are a little bit older, you know, that are maybe 40 and above, although we do have young adults that are listening to our teleconferences as well. Now, we do about 25 teleconferences a year that are um, disease-specific or on specific types of treatment, like stem cell transplantation. We do have um, several a year that are on lymphoma, and people have an opportunity to listen to a key opinion leader or a physician who is um, expert on that specific disease, and then they have a live an opportunity to ask uh, questions for about 20 or 30 minutes live and then we archive the program so they can listen to it as a podcast afterwards. Um I have questions, I think Jack has a question for you. Yeah, it's
4: more of a comment just based on, you know, telling my story and then tying it to what you were just saying about the young adults and teenagers looking for peer support. Um, you know, like I said, I was in those support groups with the older people, and, you know, again, I was reserved with what I said and was kind of like, well, where are the people that are like me? And then when I went to the OMG Summit in uh, April of 2008, which is a month before I finished treatment, there wasn't a room full of 100 people that were just like me. And I'm kind of fortunate where I found I to I pretty early on. Uh, I was still in treatment and, you know, starting my survivorship. But there are so many people that are, like, long removed from treatment and uh, have been survivors for many years that are just like, oh, my God, like, where were you when I needed you?
3: But I'm going to chime in right here and just add the fact that the OMG Cancer Summit was originated through a really innovative partnership through I2Y and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, we have Karen DeMiro to thank for her vision in wanting to bring that together. And we're coming up on our third annual conference, you know, this May. And again, it's being done with Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And if I can just go out and say that you're one of the more progressive national organizations who can see beyond sort of the now. And, and project into the future about the, what the needs are going to be and meet the needs through the, the openness of partnership and collaboration. So, I, I, you know, among the numerous projects we've worked on, OMG, I think, is the one that really is going to take the young adult movement to the next level for the next couple of years.
2: Yeah, well, thank you for mentioning that, and yes, I agree. I think that that, that's been a great project, and um, we have, and Leukemia Lymphoma Society does have 60 chapters across the United States and four in Canada, and they have worked uh, with I2Y on a number of projects, and our chapters have really um, worked hard to uh, develop uh, programs specifically for young adults with blood cancers by... Um, Actually, just by asking the people that that are already connected to the Leukemia Lymphoma Society that are young adults, what is it that we can do that would help? Um, And that just as we heard previously from Jack, the traditional types of either support groups, uh, peer programs, or education programs that we we have done before may not be the right forum or the right setting. So what we want is to um, bring young adults together that are living with these illnesses so that they can help one another through the experience um, and beyond um, into survivorship. Because there is, um, once you've had cancer it, and, and you've gone through cancer therapy, this is something that you're going to carry with you. Your, your life does change. It's, it's your new normal. <laughs> and when you're a young adult or you're a, um, a teenager, you're still Trying to figure out who you are and who you want to be when you grow up. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'm in my 50s and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> but um, it's very important for people to have their own peers with them through this experience. We know this with other support groups that we do, many of them are disease specific, uh, they're becoming um, age specific. Uh, and really, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society is. Um, As Matthew was saying, we're really reaching out at this point to other groups that are working with young adults. We're very um, interested in supporting young adults with blood cancer. We recognize that they have some very specific needs uh, in order to get through their experience, and then they will have some very significant challenges throughout their life based on the the long- and late-term effects of their treatment and we want to make sure that they're getting the right information um, about follow-up care, how often they should be going for follow-up care, who should be following them, what are some of the signs and symptoms um, of the effects that can occur as a result of their therapy. So, and Can you um,
1: remind listeners again about your website where they can go to get more information?
2: Sure. Our website is um, www.lls.org. And then our Information Resource Center, which people can call into um, or reach through our website, where you can speak with a a live person.
1: A telephone?
2: Um, Yes. How retro.
1: But it works.
2: It totally works. Very retro, but we also have a live (laughs) chat during the day. Um, And they're there Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Those are master's level nurses and social workers that can answer disease-specific questions, questions about clinical trials treatment, Amazing. side effects. Um, so they're there to help people um, better understand their disease and the treatment options that, that are available to them.
1: Well, it's so fantastic, all of the services that you guys have. You're really just a phenomenal organization. We're so glad to have you on the show tonight.
3: Yeah, Hilde, keep on. I'm looking forward to 2010 with you guys. I think we're going to blow it out of the water and really, really set the bar uh, for the rest of the country on what can be done to serve this incredible community.
2: Okay, well, you guys keep it going too. You're doing a great job.
3: All right. Yes. Happy New Year. Enjoy skiing. Yeah, we happy hate you. Happy New
2: Year. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay, Hildy Dillon, everybody. Okay. Thank you. All righty. <laughs> All right. And uh, I guess now it's time for our next guest. I don't know if I queued this up right. Probably not. Yeah. You're yeah. to Yosef, Susan? Dr. Leonard Zender, as we affectionately call him, speaks with the funniest accent I've ever heard, and I barely understand what he's saying. But he's one of the pioneers and the most foremost oncologist in the country for the adolescent and young adult cancer community. He received his medical education in South Africa at the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg and completed his pediatric internship and residency at the University of California, Irvine, where he's currently uh, the Director of Oncology Services. Um, he also is the Chairman of the Board of Directors for I2Y. Please welcome Dr. Leonard Sender. <laughs> Lenny. Yeah,
5: good evening, everyone. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well. It's been a great show so far. and uh, Congrats uh, to many of you. I'll start off with congrats to Carol for uh, all the work and your wisdom and your talent and your humor in the show. So we wish you lots of luck in your next endeavors.
1: Thanks, Lenny. So thank
5: you. Hilda did a great job of uh, introduction to Hodgkin's and patient services. I want to thank her. And, and Leukemia Lymphoma Society is a very fan- very good and fantastic organization. Jack, uh, you yes. can <laughs> <to> mute <laughs> You uh, better get me now because I'm
4: going to go take a nap in a minute. I'll
5: understand you and you'll understand me. <laughs> Uh, And, Matt, uh, congratulations. I understand you got the date wrong on the day you were diagnosed, but um, I'm really glad you're so many years out.
3: Well, yeah, it's 14 years tomorrow. Um, I guess I'll give myself applause for that. But 14 years. Yeah, yeah, for some reason I always thought that my diagnosis date was December 27th, but my dad actually went back to his Microsoft Word document that he kept as a journal, And my official date of meeting the neurosurgeon and being told you have a thing in your head is actually December 29th, although it raises another point of of, uh, contention, which is what day do most survivors celebrate as their cancerversary? Is it the day you're diagnosed? Is it the date of, like, a major surgery? Or is it the last day of treatment? And at least for me, I I choose the date of major surgery because I'm going to go with that brain cancer surgery stuff. It kind of took it out of my body. But uh, So January 10th is my official cancerversary, but I always like to just put it out there that the 29th now, not the 27th, is when it all began. So thank you for
5: Well, congratulations. For You're a great survivor. Let,
3: let me ask you a question that wasn't brought up with Hildy because I wanted you to answer it. And it's basically the topic for tonight. Who the hell is Hodgkins? So Hodgkins was an interesting guy. He, he was from Britain. Uh, in
5: 1830 or 1832, he described what we now call Hodgkin's disease, big lymph nodes. It turned out that when they, in retrospect, in 2009, if you go back and look at the original samples, a lot of those patients probably had tuberculosis, but uh, they weren't that good under the microscope. But he put together this idea, and, you know, back in the 1800s, if you found some, you named it after yourself. So this Addison's disease and Hodgkin's disease, which makes it really complicated. That's why Missy asked in her chat, you know, what is the difference between Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's, and basically they two totally different diseases. They affect the lymph nodes, but they, they look differently, they act differently, they smell differently, and therefore we just divide, the world divided them into, you, you had Hodgkin's disease or you didn't have Hodgkin's disease. If you didn't have Hodgkin's disease, we just call that non-Hodgkin's, but Hodgkin's was a pretty bright guy because, you know, today we take it for granted that this constellation of of symptoms and signs makes up Hodgkin's disease, but he put it together, that you could, you could have fever or weight loss or night sweats or big lymph nodes. And he also helped describe how it spread through the body. So a
3: pretty smart guy. And it's it kept, obviously. It's it's stuck around.
5: You know, it, I think it's, it's so much in the medical vernacular. Now, I believe in 10 years from now, we won't think of Hodgkin's. We'll probably think of 20 different diseases under Hodgkin's. Because as we move with the science, and as we learn to dissect diseases apart, we're realizing that we often lump diseases together, and they really weren't. So even in Hodgkin's today, we talk of classical Hodgkin's and non-classical Hodgkin's. So there's already a difference, and within classical, there are three types. So you're going to see it subdivide and subdivide over time, and that actually may explain why some patients do better than others with certain treatments, and that's obviously the goal. The goal is how do we have everyone treated to cure but in such a way that the consequences of that cure minimized uh, or, or totally eliminated.
1: So let's fast forward from you know this like 1800s history to now to December. I mean the, um, you guys just had the American Society of Hematology on conference and I'm curious to know about you know what was going on there. What were some of the hot topics that were being discussed that would interest young adult patients?
5: Well thanks Carol. The First of all, it, back in 1970 is when the first major breakthrough happened. There was a guy called Vincent DeVita from the National Cancer Institute, and he came up with a therapy called MOP, M-O-P-P, which was four drugs put together. And that was the first major change we had in Hodgkin's disease, and we started seeing survival. But that's one that led to most of the long-term consequences. So over the years, since 1970, us oncologists have been playing around to say, how much chemo do we need to do to get cure without having those toxic events that we're having? So there was a very good paper that came out of Germany uh, from a guy called Andreas Engert, E-N-G-E-R-T. I assume that's how you pronounce his name. He's from Cologne. And they did a study on about 1,400 patients, and they looked to say could they give less chemotherapy and get the same cure rate. So they compared – two cycles of what now we call A B V D chemotherapy, which is a common one we use, versus two versus four and then two different doses of radiation, a higher dose and a lower dose. And clearly what came out in early stage Hodgkin's from this study is that less was better. And in fact it may become the new gold standard. So that's actually very important. We think that we we'll were able to give only two cycles of of A B V D in early stage and may or may not need radiation, and a new study has been done. So that's very important. The field is getting to the point now where we're actually looking to see whether we give a little bit less therapy and get the same effect and obviously avoid the long-term consequences that are so devastating to Hodgkin's patients.
2: I'm
1: curious um, if... How patients are reacting to that because often when we think about you know fighting cancer and we have these war images and it's like let's get out the biggest gun the biggest bazooka like more is better and are, do patients ever freak out a little bit like less you like we're talking about giving me less is that going to be effective I think sometimes it's scary to hear as a patient.
5: That's a very good point. I I think that most patients when you explain what are the consequences. Of having more therapy and as we learn from the pediatric survivors to start and now our young adult survivors as they get older we realize that a lot a lot of chemotherapy did a lot of harm so that what Jack talked about in terms of his fertility and the risk of fertility really is due to the fact that he got too much chemotherapy and the hope in the future is could we still get the same effect without that much chemotherapy we know the young woman who got um, radiation to their chest area, we call that the mediastinum, they have a 16-fold increase in breast cancer in their late 20s and early 30s. So if we can avoid radiation, we may be able to help. But you're right, the general feeling is take this like a war. But I think that's old thinking. And what we're gonna really see happen is a much more targeted approach. I think this concept of individualized, personalized medicine is gonna take off in a really large way in the next few years, because we're going to get smart about choosing the right therapy, sort of risk-adapted therapy, risk-stratified therapy, and response-based therapy. So people like Ethan, who my prayers go out to him and my thoughts go out to him, would only certain patients will require to go through transplantation. Most patients with Hodgkin's will never need it. But we'll try to understand if you don't respond well enough, Should you transplant someone early or should you up the ante? And that's when you up the ante with people like what
3: you just did with
1: Ethan. Matthew, take it away. Yeah, we've
3: had the conversation, Lenny. Uh, Statistically, we look at the ICY population, and interestingly enough, you know, blood cancers are not the top one or top two cancers in the young adult community. It's really kind of third and fourth, respectively. Mm -hmm. But of the overwhelming majority of the tens of thousands of people in our database, the, they're all blood cancer survivors. And you once told me that it's largely due to the morbidity. And Could you talk about what that means and uh, how, is there any way to even that out with other cancers?
5: Sure. Um, so if you take the majority of patients who get uh, Hodgkin's disease, although we have a very high cure rate, close to the 90% and high in in certain stages, the effect of going through that chemotherapy is quite devastating to the body. And often those people are left with permanent chronicity to their disease. So any disease or any cancer that leads to the concept of a chronic disease in a patient leaves someone both psychologically and physically vulnerable. And I think when you look at leukemias and lymphomas as a group, they are some of the most challenging patients to take care of. one is they may require a tremendous amount of chemotherapy, very uh, dangerous doses of chemotherapy with lots of side effects and that often leads to this long term survivor chronic problems and that's what draws them maybe to us because they're really searching they want to find other people like themselves who's suffering from the consequences of their cure. the majority thank God, of of people with, say, thyroid cancer are cured. So, you know, you go in, you have your surgery, you have your radiation afterwards, and in 93% of those patients, they never require anything else except the follow-up scan with quite small and and not very uh, severe long-term side effects. It doesn't mean they don't have side effects, um, but they don't have a lot of it. So those people often go on and think of themselves totally cured. Early-stage melanoma, again, another one where people go on to think of themselves as cured. So I think it's in any one of our cancers that the therapy is either a lot of inpatient or or, or extreme outpatient chemo with long-term side effects. That's what I think uh, leads to uh, a long-term need to come together. And I think coming together really helps because it allows other people to realize they're not alone in having those and and how they can come up together so the wisdom of the crowd is what I believe in these days and hopefully they can help one another.
4: Hey, Lenny, it's Jack here. Uh, my friend Karen had six cycles of AB, ABVD. Um, what are some of the long-term effects that she can expect?
5: Well, um, fertility is one. Lung pro, lung fibrosis and lung damage. And then something that's common to all uh, Hodgkin's disease patients is the, the risk of second cancer. And there are two reasons why we think that you can get second cancers in, in Hodgkin's disease. One, maybe the underlying basis of your genetics, why you got Hodgkin's in the first place. We do believe that the Epstein-Barr virus, which is the virus that causes mono, which is very common in the population, but only 8,000 people get Hodgkin. So why, if it's, you have so much mono, It must be because of some genetic predisposition, which we haven't yet found, but it it probably exists. So there may be that predisposition that gives you Hodgkin's in the first place, runs you the risk of getting Hodgkin's another cancer later on, and and it's been well documented. Hodgkin's patients are at increased risk over the general population. It doesn't mean every Hodgkin's patient will get a second malignancy, but they need to be vigilant for the rest of their lives. if it's female, did she get radiation? She got radiation, her risk of getting breast cancer is pretty high and means she needs to be screened pretty early in her life uh, for breast cancer and not to wait until she's 50 like the new guidelines are trying to say. Sometimes we suggest in the 25, even if the patient was, say, 16, to get it. So that's the risks. And then there's these, these drugs and also affect your lung function, your kidney function. So it and it can affect your hormonal function, so endocrine wise. So it's not a the treatments have long term consequences that need to be seen. These patients, every Hodgkin's patient needs to be followed by either generalists who understand survivorship issues and needs to screen them appropriately or by a survivorship clinic. Not everyone gets access to a good survivorship clinic, so they need to find their doctor who has it and that's where I think how the I two Y helps is getting into the right resources so they can find out about survivorship.
1: Lenny, you know, you were just speaking a little bit about maybe some of the predispositions or causes um, for getting Hodgkins. And I'm really curious about, you know, when you look at the the age patterns of Hodgkins, you know, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's you know you often find it in fifteen to thirty five year olds and then adults that are older than fifty five What's happening in that age gap in between that they're less likely to have Hodgkins?
5: That's a fascinating question. We've debated that forever. It's just two. It's just bi, We call it a bimodal peak. So you get it in that early age and then you get it late. We're not sure. There's a lot of diseases that affect developing humans, and being a young adolescent, young adult. It's a, really a developing human. So. Osteogenic sarcomas and sarcomas start coming in. But why and does someone get affected with Hodgkin's in that age is really not clear. Again, people have looked at the Epstein-Barr virus, trying to understand it. It may be a dysregulated approach to the immune, from the immune system. But I wish I could tell you the answer. I would probably be ready to go to Stockholm and get my Nobel Prize. Yeah. Truly understood. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, another question that I have is when I read about lymphoma, I see the word immunotherapy used a lot more often, and I'm kind of curious if you can talk a little bit about what the word immunotherapy means and what does it mean for lymphoma patients.
5: Well, I think in Hodgkin's disease, we don't use a lot of immunotherapy. Um, it really, it's a it's a sort of generic term that probably is misused a lot of the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: But in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, we are now using an antibody. So one of the antibodies we use is something called rituxan or rituximab, which is against a molecule on the surface of the cell called CD20. CD stands for cluster designation. It's a way of naming it, so when we talk about that molecule, the people in France and Germany and Australia all know what we're talking about. So a company made an antibody, and the guys who decided, who invented or discovered antibodies for cancer won the Nobel Prize a few years ago, Milstein and Cola. But basically, that type of therapy helps uh, patients immensely in the uh, non-Hodgkin's disease. There is a monoclonal antibody called SGN30, for Hodgkin's disease. But the trials so far are ongoing. They are a little, more, little bit disappointing. The CD30 antigen, which is a fancy way of saying the little button on, on the cell that looks like CD30, is is very present in Hodgkin's, but the therapy with it, with that antibody has not yet translated into improved overall survival studies ongoing but um, you know the enthusiasm is is waning a little bit because it just hasn't turned out so i think you're going to see it. antibody therapy sometimes is called immunotherapy other therapies also like something called interferon therapy
1: mm-hmm. used
5: also in non-hodgkin's lymphoma more than hodgkin's lymphoma
1: well one place where there's no lack of enthusiasm is in the chat room and we have a bunch of questions coming in from the chat room um, i'm going to rattle off the first one if you get really sick during the chemo, how long can the effects last? Eight months out of treatment and still not that functional. For people that still have effects, what are the symptoms?
5: Well, that's a good question. Someone, so obviously it depends on someone's cancer and what type of chemo did they get. So it obviously varies. But someone eight months out should be off therapy, should be feeling pretty good unless there's some obvious organ dysfunction which the oncologist should be working up with. But fatigue is a very common side effect. Hodgkin's patients actually suffer from fatigue for quite a long time after their therapy. And in fact, if you probably ask every cancer patient, they'll tell you they have fatigue. I'm working with Brad Zebrick, and um, he recently sent me something on, he's trying to develop a quality of life questionnaire for young adults. Our problem is that the, the the uh, tests we have right now have not being validated well in our young adult patient population. So we, it's hard to define,
3: you know, the quality of life because one person's fatigue is not another person's fatigue. Jack and I just it, took that survey, by the way, Lenny. Sorry? Jack and I just took Brad's survey. It's very, very comprehensive.
5: Oh, good. But it's, a very, but it's, a, but it's an important question because fatigue is multifactorial. The company, Amgen, tried to sell us all that if you could just raise someone's red cells by using Epigen or their own product, that you would get rid of fatigue. And they always showed some grandpa picking up his grandchild, but the grandpa always had hair, which always amazed me because most of our chemo patients don't have hair. <laughs> but I think it really is it, it really is multifactorial. But I'd be worried if someone is still having so much fatigue at eight months you know, that someone is at least evaluating what consequences have, are they suffering because they should be over it by eight months if they're off therapy.
1: Another question that we have in the chat room, somebody says I'm almost five years out from treatment and one doctor says to still do CT scans yearly and the other doctor says that it's too much radiation. What, it, what should they do? Uh,
5: well, it's a good, very good question because right now, you know, we are really struggling with how to follow patients long term. We are very cognizant, or should be very cognizant, of the fact that every CAT scan we do and every PET scan we do is is quite excessive radiation. And when you're dealing with young adults who have a lifetime still to live, those additional radiation may, you know, push you into that second cancer. It Again, depends exactly on the type of cancer you have. The five-year mark doesn't always hold for some cancers. Some cancers, if you get to five years, you can say 98% of the people will not recur after five years, about 2% will. But some cancers, like breast cancer, for example, may require you to go a lot longer, some sarcomas. So I would be concerned, five years, you need to really be thinking about it. What is the value of doing that scan? When people from the public health sector look at that, They'll turn around and say, it's probably not necessary, it's expensive, it gives you excessive radiation. But again, I think it needs to be thought of individually again, what's going on in that particular patient. And I'd be happy to talk to anyone, you know, once I know exactly what type.
1: Well, Lenny, you are just an amazing wealth of information and beyond being a wealth of information. I mean, a lot of doctors are wealth of information and they're not sharing it with population of folks who want to know what's going on with their bodies and with their disease and it's just amazing to have you on the show answering these questions it's just really cool and we're so thankful to have you here well thank you very much
3: all right, Lenny. you have yourself a, a great new year. I'm sure we'll talk before then. And thank you for speaking in
4: a way that we can understand you.
3: <laughs> I'm, I, I went back
5: to my accent retraining program, and I've asked them that they better get me into shape because Jack's giving me a hard time.
4: Thank you for not using your Bluetooth headset with us tonight.
5: <laughs> I was. You were?
3: That's the yeah. clearest I've ever heard you. Yeah. Yeah, Missy Chate wanted you to say, uh, Missy, what was the word that you wanted? Pilates. Yeah, Pilates. Jack, say the word. Uh, Lenny, say the word. Pilates. Well, while I was taking care of Missy, I was
5: doing Pilates about three times a week, and she used to get a big kick out of the way I said it. So. Pilates, but I love Pilates. Big kick was seeing me in those contorted positions. Did you say Yosef?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yosef, goodbye. Oh no, actually, you say Yosef, we have to play. to well, play his music here? There he is. This is Joseph's soundtrack. <laughs> Anytime he's mentioned we have to we're obligated to play that.
5: That's Joseph's theme. Yeah. Well everyone have a have a healthy and happy new year and uh, it was wonderful being on the show. Congratulations. I hope the next uh, season will even be more successful than this one and keep up the good work.
3: Thanks, Lenny. Lenny send everybody, Doctor Leonard Sender, the one and only. The one and only Doctor Leonard Sender. All right, well that that sort of that that takes us out, Carol. I mean, it's like you said it is. It's a bit bittersweet. I can't believe it's been a year.
1: I know. It's been a great year. I mean, just look through all the archives and think, "God, we've covered so much terrain." It's been we, cool.
3: I know. What a, you've been an invaluable friend an invaluable resource an invaluable supporter. Um you are truly emblematic without Without, you know, rhetoric, without propaganda, you are truly emblematic of, of why I 2 Y exists, of why there's a young adult movement, and why I shouldn't put up with Jack anymore. Yeah, and Carol, uh...
4: I, I'm I'm in awe of you because you use a lot of big words I don't understand. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: My, I I actually try to use really small words. I'm not I'm not into the big word thing. I like this. I like the teeny little, you know, two syllable words.
4: No, but that's Jack's limit, two syllables.
1: Oh, two syllables? Yeah, yeah okay. but
4: usually the two syllables that come my way are f and off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> me, too. You have no idea how much restraint that I use. I mean, it's really great that there are no FCC regulations on this show, but still. Uh-huh. And the F word is like every other word for me. It started in kindergarten. It's a very hard habit to break.
3: That is a hard, definitely a hard habit to break. Yeah,
1: it's really hard. So anyway, um, don't be a stranger to me, and I won't be a stranger to you guys. I'll, I'll keep seeing you around here, and um, I hope you guys have a great, great New Year. All
3: right. A special round of applause for Carol Rosenthal, everybody. <laughs> Excellent work. Stand to I'm standing Jack is giving you a standing O, standing O. So, uh, Excellent. all right, Happy New Year. I'm sure you and I'll be in touch. But take care of yourself. Best to Shannon and enjoy your winter.
1: Well, uh, I I will do that because it is winter here in Chicago. You guys
3: get winter in Chicago?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you take care. And now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internet.
4: You ever seen a grown man naked?
0: And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo,
3: you done it again.
0: That was so terrible, I think
2: you gave me cancer.
3: All right, folks, that's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. Love i like to thank our guests, Hildy Dillon, Dr. Leonard Sander, and a special shout-out to Ethan Zahn. Next board. week's show, kicking off 2010, with Here Johnny Emmerman of Urban Angels. Be well, number one. Be well, number one. Be
2: well, number one.
3: And I the band, No be Evidence before. of Disease, with Dr. Nemesh Nagersheth and Dr. Joni Hope. This is a group of gynecologists who have a rock band. Pretty awesome.
0: If
3: you've missed any of our previous broadcasts, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or subscribe to our podcast at itunesit 2 If you don't already have Carol's book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in their 20s and 30s, it is available wherever books are sold. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week. Live from the chemo deck, we wish you all a phenomenal evening and a happy new year. Go to bed, Missy Chate Bogger out. On a friendly show.